Hello, and welcome to Leading Inspired Learning, a Strive podcast. Hi, my name is Kayla. I'm the professional learning lead here at Strive, and I will be your host for today. Today, we are so thrilled to have a very special guest here with us. Uh, We are joined by Drew Dudley. Um, Drew, I think uh, maybe we could get started with maybe just a little introduction of yourself. Sure. My name is Drew Dudley. I'm the CEO of a company called Day One Leadership. And prior to that, the two big things that drove my experience with leadership and what I talk about are I ran the leadership program at the University of Toronto for about a decade. And prior to that, I ran Canada's largest post-secondary charity in support of Cystic Fibrosis Canada before that. So most of what I talk about comes from that combination of those experiences as well as some personal ones that I'm sure we'll dive into. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's probably a great place to start. Let's maybe hear a little bit about you, um, maybe your life experience and what brought you to this day one leadership. Yeah, day one leadership is actually a concept that emerged from a combination of lived experiences by me, as well as some of the theoretical leadership that I was studying. And the idea is that on day one of any really difficult thing, there's an inherent humility, a commitment, and a forgiveness. Because whenever you're doing something really difficult, those are three things that on the first day you feel uh, very, very strongly. And I think that part of it came from years ago, the first time I heard the day one concept and had it explained to me in a way that started to influence uh, me to a point where eventually I named my company after this idea, is I was on tour in Doha, Qatar, because I also am a professional speaker. I travel around and speak about 100 times a year for different organizations, not-for-profits, communities. And I was in Doha, Qatar, and I'm in this car, and it's going about 70 miles an hour towards this cliff. <laughs> and I paid for this. And you the guy, yeah, I did. The, it was, I paid for this cliff diving experience. It, it 100% was. It's called dune bashing. And it's a huge, it's like jet skiing in the Middle East, right? The desert's there. You put on, you, you soup up your vehicles and you're diving them off of these dunes. And of course, you can pay for the right to go out and then spend the night at a Bedouin camp overnight in the desert. Really cool experience. And I wanted to have one. And so I had paid this amazing guy named Mustafa to take me on this tour. And we're heading towards the cliff. And he starts to cackle. And I don't know if you've ever been in a passenger seat where the driver starts to go. (laughs) (laughs) And it was so disconcerting. But I look over and he's got this huge smile on his face and he's laughing so hard. And I think to myself, man, he is living his best life right now. Mm -hmm. And so I say to Mustafa, man, this is amazing. But you do it every day. How do you stay so excited to do the same thing every day, no matter how incredible it is? And he looks over me with a big smile and he goes, ah, it's my first day. (laughs) And we're like 50 feet from a cliff, right? And I know everyone's got to start somewhere, but I don't I don't want the new guy. Not when you drive me off a cliff. High stakes. Yeah, exactly. And so this shows on my face that I'm completely appalled at this development. So he slams on the brakes and he looks at me with this big smile. And finally he says, Mr. Dudley, you want the new guy. Think about it. On your first day of work, you show up early, you dress your best, you try really hard to get along with your coworkers, you double check everything you do, and you ask every question you have. Because there's no shame in doing that on the first day. You're never more committed, and you're never more convinced it's going to be the best job you've ever had than you are on your first day. Hmm. As soon as your second day of work begins... All that starts to stop being quite so true. The first time I ever did this job was 17 years ago. But I had such an extraordinary first day 
that I promised myself I'd never have a second day of work. It's been my first day for 17 years. And five years ago, I bought the company. And all I ask anyone who works for me is they come every day to work like it's their first day. Humble, committed, and forgiving. It's why we're the best tour company in all of Qatar because the customers love it. And that idea that day one and to come every day as if it's that same level of humility, commitment, and forgiveness really impacted me. And then five years later, when I finally decide to deal with my struggles with alcohol, what I found in recovery is it's that same concept that if you don't want to have a drink for the rest of your life, you have to choose not to have a drink today. Make that very difficult decision. But that one decision is all you worry about. You don't worry about how many you made before or failed to. You don't worry about how many there's still to make. You focus only on the non-negotiable of today. And the idea of the day one leadership concept is that we say, okay, on day one, my non-negotiable for my alcoholism is you must choose not to have a drink today, non-negotiable. For leadership, you must choose to find a way to embody your core values every single day. That's your non-negotiable. Because ordinary acts done with extraordinary consistency, those are the things that change worlds. Leadership's not about money and titles and influence. It's about whether you create individual moments of impact driven by your values every day. And so I had people like Mustafa. I had me working at the university and learning about, you know, your typical leadership theory. But then I also add in these lived experiences where I had to find a way to live through getting better and dealing with my alcoholism. I had to go through losing 100 pounds. I had to go through starting my own company. And I had to find a way to live day one and say, okay, I'm starting my own thing now. And you keep having day ones in your life. I had day one after losing someone I loved. I had day one of being 46 years old and someone telling me you have ADHD, which isn't something that I thought you got at 46 years of age. You don't. It turns out that people just miss it for 20 some years. But for me, the idea of day one is you identify the biggest challenge that you face in each one of those challenges, whether it's weight loss, mental health, physical health, and you say, this will be non-negotiable, these behaviors. And we just, you know, finished some time here where we helped people figure out what are your values and how do you actually live them every single day? So that's the day one concept. It's about saying today there are non-negotiables and every day is going to be different except in this part. These parts will never change every day. I every day will find a way to live these values. And I then created a process that helped people do that based in some behavioral psychology, which is the boring part. I will acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. So I will stop at that point. Um, but I mean, the behavioral, psychological aspect of it is important because mm -hmm. when we're considering the ways that how we ask questions, how we engage with other people, what the ripple effects of those actions and words and intentions are, that's really what's going to drive that leadership through. Mm -hmm. If we don't consider the longevity of our words and our choices, then we really can't have the impact that we want to have long term. So I'd argue it's probably one of the more important concepts of the work that you're doing because rather than just saying, hey, here's leadership and here's some great ways to do it. Yeah. Or if, if you're an authoritarian leader or you're a laissez-faire leader or you're this or this, we're focusing on like, who am I as a person? And yeah. how does that come out for me as a leader when I engage with other people or when I'm when I'm assessing the type of impact that I want to have on the world? 
hey, you want me to talk behavioral psychology? I will rock that all day long. I mean, a lot of us, you know, we're in that field of learning about brain development and social emotional um, intelligence. So lay it on us. Okay, so here's the deal. Uh, Years ago, I asked a group of students what value they wanted to live every day. And they picked impact. And so the original assignment was go out and have impact every day. And they said impact was creating moments that cause people to feel as if they're better off for having interacted with you. Because you can't hit a value you haven't defined. And I said, that's awesome. Go out and do it. The problem was they'd come by my office at the end of the day to tell me what they had done. But they'd always stop and think about it so they could remember what they did. And what that meant is that they were using this value that they said was really important to them to evaluate behavior that had already happened. And leaders use their values to drive their behavior, to impact in the moment. And if we weren't thinking about impact till the end of the day, it wasn't impacting our decision making all day. So it's not a value. A value is only a value if you use it as criteria for decision making. And so we needed a different approach. And this is where the power of the unanswered question came into play. Because what I did is I went to the psych department at U of T and I said, look, we want to behave a certain way, but all the distractions of life are getting in the way. Do you have any behavioral psychology tricks? And they taught me two things that changed the way that we engage with values. They taught me the Zagarnik effect, which means that things on your to-do list that you haven't finished bug you more than the things you have finished. So you remember them better than the things you've already done. And the second piece was the question behavior effect, which said if you ask people questions about a behavior, they're more likely to do it. And so instead of going out into the world and saying, okay, we're going to have impact, what we did is we made it a question because the human brain hates unanswered questions so much that it will change your behavior in order to find an answer to something. And so what we did for impact is instead of saying, hey, can we go out and have impact? We said, hey, let's make sure that every day we answer this question. We stuck it in our phone so that it always reminded us. And it was this, what have I done today to recognize someone else's leadership? Because leadership's on a pedestal. And if you tell someone that something that society reveres, you see it in them, they're always going to walk away feeling better off. So what we did is in order to live a value, instead of saying this is what the value is and here's how we're going to live it and try to live it, we said let's turn the value into a question and then we'll try to answer the question every day. And because of the way behavioral psychology works, once the question is in your brain, your brain won't let it go. It keeps working on it unconsciously. It's why you remember the name of that actor or that actress a day later. Mm -hmm. Your brain never let it go. It's just you didn't think about it anymore. And so what happened was our desire to live values stopped being about the values. It started being about the questions that we created for the values. And then we created something called the leadership test, which was a a sequence of these six questions, each one tied to a value. So we went out and said every day we want to have impact. We want to embody growth. We want to have courage. We want to embody empowerment. We want to be classy and we want to have self-respect. And every one of those values, we created a question. And then we try to get three questions out of six. Mm -hmm. And the thing was, the reason we made them questions is psychology says that asking yourself a question about a behavior is more likely to get that behavior to be a part of your life than saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it a goal. No, make it a question. What did I do today to recognize someone else's leadership? What did I do today that might not work, but I tried it anyway? What did I do today to move someone else closer to a goal? If you ask yourself those questions, you're more likely to embody the values of impact, courage, 
and empowerment, just those three examples I gave you, instead of trying to be a courageous person, I just try to answer what did I try today that might not work today? And I cannot answer that question without showing courage. So the questions drive our behavior. Yeah, and I think, um, so for those of you that don't know, we've just been engaging in a two-day session with Drew where we've been doing this values and leadership work. And what I found most interesting was at the beginning of the first day, when you asked us what our top three values were in leadership, um, in ourselves as leaders, and then as we've gone through these couple days doing deep values work, none of the words I chose on the first day were the words that came out for me at the end of the session. Um, and doing that deep dive and reflection into what is meaningful to me as a person and what advice I share with others, et cetera, and the way that those are actually those subconscious thoughts and desires coming through and that those are where your values live was a really interesting, and if I'm being entirely honest, like existential crisis-inducing experience for me because I was so focused on other things that I couldn't see the values I was already attempting to live into and prioritizing every day. And as I look at my values now, I'm like, yeah, I can do that. That feels cozy to me. That feels like somewhere I can go and I can be safe and I can take those risks in order to drive that impact that I hope to have every day. Um, I don't know really what my connection with that was. It's just that I found the connection to values was like a little light bulb in the beginning. I'm like, oh yeah, like obviously our values drive our leadership. But then realizing that what we think our values are aren't always what what comes out when we're interacting with other people. If we think of our values at all, mm -hmm. right? Like that was the first question I asked is if someone followed you around for 30 days, what values would they see you embody? Yeah. And those are the first ones that people come up with. And then we do the edge of the bed advice, which just for anyone listening. Yeah, I didn't want to like spoil too much. I wasn't sure what I could share. <laughs> oh, no, it's totally fine. The edge of the bed advice is my way of surfacing people's values. Because if you just ask what the values are, they just they give you aspirational answers, which is nothing wrong with that. But if you ask people for 30 pieces of a life advice that they would give life and career advice, every piece of advice that we give is a reflection of a value we care about. So when I say there are more Rosalines in the world than Juliet's, which is one of my pieces of edge of the bed advice, Rosaline's the woman that Romeo's in love with at the beginning of the play. And of course, we never meet Rosaline, uh, Rosaline, Rosaline, we never meet Rosaline because he meets Juliet and realizes that's what he wanted. And so there are so many more jobs that we think we want, houses that we wish we got, uh, people that we wish we dated. Most of them are Rosalines. They're not what was really best for us. And so that's a piece of advice. And if I say, what am I really getting at with that? I'm getting at the values of resilience and self-awareness. So if you don't get something that you think you want, be resilient because probably what you really need is coming down the road. And so whatever piece of advice you come up with, every single one of them has a foundation of values. And what you do is you say, all right, here's 30 pieces of advice, which is what we asked you to do. Mm -hmm. And then you reverse engineer the values at the base of every one of them. So you say resilience was what I was getting at with this one. And courage and independence is what I was getting with this one. And fun and adventure is what I was getting with this one. Like, for instance, one of my pieces of edge of the bed advice is if you've always wanted to see them live, go see them now. Mm -hmm. And that is fun and adventure are my core values there. And so for me, if you do that, if you list 30 pieces of advice and then do the reverse engineering, you will discover that there are these certain values that keep popping up that you like you said, you didn't expect to pop up. And so one thing I encourage everyone listening to do is 
sit down and just think if I had to give 30 pieces of advice and the reason I picked 30, one, it creates a, a critical mass so that you can actually surface your values, but also it lets you have fun. The problem is when you ask people for life advice, they're being super serious and always be true to yourself. There's nothing wrong with those pieces of advice either. Be true to yourself, um, you know, forgive. All of these are good. But it also lets me say things like, I've never seen a baby squirrel, but I know that doesn't mean they don't exist. Or like, be the person your dog thinks you are. Be the person your dog thinks you are. Like these are, you can't, uh, if you're going to get a tattoo, they call them tattoos because you can't get just one. Like these are all pieces of life advice that I've gotten. Only hurt people hurt others. Like it allows you to be funny. It allows you to be emotional. It allows you to explore the vast, the vast sort of forest of your values and the things that you believe in. So go home, like spend some time and come up with your 30 pieces of edge of the bed advice. The first time I ever saw it done was a student of mine and he did 25 things I've learned in 25 years. And it was brilliant. And I thought, I got 10 years on this guy. I can do better than that. And like it was that competitive thing that did it. And now I encourage everyone to spend a little bit of time focusing on their own wisdom. Um, I think um, this doesn't feel like a great segue, but I feel like it's maybe a bit of an elephant in the room when we talk about values and leadership. When we think about our values and our hopes and aspirations is usually the ones that come out first. I think you pose a really great question in your book and being ready to answer the question, why do you matter? Because mm -hmm. I think when we think about our values and we think about who we are as leaders, that question is something that we don't take a lot of time to think about often. And I'm curious how you um, came to including that into your day one leadership philosophy. Yeah, the question I often say is that I want people to think about their values because our values define who we are. And if we don't take the time to define the things that we want to define us, so I want to stand for growth and empowerment in class. Well, if I haven't defined growth and empowerment in class, then I have absolutely no way of actually targeting them as my goals. But what I found is that individuals who haven't defined the things they want to define them have trouble answering that question, why do you matter? And I didn't realize how powerful a question it was until I asked it, for the first time in my educational experience, I had been an educator for 13 years, and I asked a student for the first time, why do you matter, Kyle? And he was 20 years old, 21 years old, and he blinked twice, and he said, well, I don't yet. That's why I'm working so hard. And I started asking other people because I found that was an unacceptable answer, and I found that it was not an outlier that most of the people to whom I posed the question, why do you matter, could not give me an answer or they were making one up. And I realized it's because no one ever asked us. And I think we hope to matter and we hope to lead and we hope to make a difference. But I think what's more important is that we plan to matter, plan to lead and plan to make a difference. When people ask me, and I'm surprised that your extraordinarily clever group of people that was just in that room, that nobody turned it around on me and said, Drew, why do you matter? Because mostly it messes with people's heads when you ask the question so they don't come back. But every now and then someone will be like, well, why do you matter? And my answer is because I plan to. Every day I have a set of values and each one has a question. And if I can get the questions answered, I've lived my values. And if I live my values, I matter. That The, the actual living of the values, the creation of individual moments of interpersonal impact. Moments of compassion, moments of growth, moments of recognition, moments of forgiveness. Those are leadership. Those individual moments of impact 
our leadership. That's how I define leadership. And those moments can be done by everyone. It's the only source of power on earth that's accessible to everyone on earth to create individual moments of interpersonal impact. And if you do, you matter. And the reason it became a part of my work is I looked at this brilliant, compassionate, driven, extraordinary young man, and he looked me right in the eye and he said, I don't yet. That's why I'm working so hard. And as I asked other people around the world of, of different levels, different industries, different different uh, ages and the amount of money they made, like these are individuals you know about. You know, you know who some of these people are and they can't tell me why they matter. It is not an outlier. It's because we don't ask it of ourselves and we don't ask it of other people. And every single time you create an, ind an individual moment of impact, you matter. The challenge is we don't recognize those individual moments because we've been taught that they're the little things. They're not little. The stuff that you've been told are the little things are not little. They are simple, but simple doesn't mean little. That moment of compassion, that moment of forgiveness, that moment of recognition is the most powerful stuff we do. And we were educated into calling it little things because once people have power, they want to make sure that it's consolidated. And when people in power and who create the education system and are at the top of it, what they want is the people to not realize how powerful they are. And that's why we've been taught to call these simple moments little moments. They're not little at all. Everybody listening, we've created a world. I'm getting fired up now. We have created a world where most of the leadership on the planet is coming from people who won't call themselves leaders. And I just everybody listening... You are a leader because you create those powerful moments of interpersonal impact. You've been educated into thinking that's not as good or important as titles and money and influence. But what, like, let me ask you this, if it's okay. I'm going to put you on the spot because okay. you've, you've been loving this. Can you tell me the last five winners of the Best Actor Oscar? No, but I know there was controversy about diversity. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me the last five winners of the Pulitzer Prize? A hard no. Yeah. I don't follow stuff very well. <laughs> yeah, the last five winners of the Nobel Peace Prize? No. These are the people we hold up as real leaders and changes in our site. And I ask you that not to make you... Like everyone out there? No, anyone a, who knows me knows that I am not following news or trends very well. Let's be honest. I'm going to tell you most of the people listening here cannot rhyme off those 15 people. Mm -hmm. But they are the absolute top in their professions, the absolute highest honors in the world. And we don't know who they are. But can you tell me the name of a teacher who changed the way that you thought about the world? Yes. Can you think of the name of a friend without whom you probably wouldn't have gotten through the most difficult times in your life? thousand percent. Every one of you listening can be those people, and almost none of us can be the Nobel Prize winner. And yet, even though the Nobel Prize is supposed to symbolize the real leadership, you don't know their name. So my question is, we can all be the latter, that friend, that teacher, that educator. We all can do that. Why do we devalue that? Why is the Nobel Prize our symbol? Because nobody gets the Nobel Prize. Nobody gets movies made about them. Like, if we really break it down... Mm -hmm. But that's what we hold up. Nobody's a like hardly anyone is a billionaire. Uh, unfortunately, there are some like <laughs> listen to me, Bernie Sanders, this one up and billionaire shouldn't exist. Right. But that to me, everyone listening out there, I just want to reiterate that when you create those moments, it's leadership. And we think that it's somehow less than the big leadership, but the big leaders don't matter to us. You are the first person that someone sees every morning that you have a bigger influence on them 
than any sort of president or prime minister or, or CEO has. Why do we diminish that impact? I don't know. It's funny, um, the little things, again, like conversation. We actually have a campaign locally right now called Little Moments, Big Impact. Mm. And it's with that same concept in mind that these are little moments, but the impact is large. Um, so obviously we work with children. Our context is a little bit different than yours, but you know, that that um that smile when they enter the room the warm hug when they're feeling sad um if they're hungry bringing that extra apple from the kitchen for an extra snack these little things that we do each day to support them in feeling safe and secure and like they can take risks and thrive in this environment are all the little moments that lead to big impact and i know we use the phrase little moments but it's to highlight that it's not little it's big it's big it's the dichotomy between the i will let that slide because it actually is a great sentence you know yeah. what i mean it's it's uh but also i was saying this uh today for all of us in, in the, the world of, of ece is that the roots of leadership are established in youth Mm-hmm. And then the actual acts of leadership, the branches and the leaves uh, that come on later, is that I I was dealing with the branches by the time I started working with young people. You're dealing with the roots. Yeah. And I, I wish I could remember the name of the man who said this because I, saw, I heard it in a presentation, but he said, every child is one caring adult away from a better life. Yes. And he had been through such terrible things. And it was one, one caring adult who changed the entire course of his life. And to me, the responsibility, but also the opportunity that is presented to everybody who's listening to this is remarkable. But I also know that that responsibility can lead to like some fear and some judgment of yourself mm-hmm. uh, because you have a massive responsibility. And it's one that the world can't live without, but doesn't seem to recognize adequately as it goes, as, as we're moving forward. And that must be unbelievably frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there is, I think sometimes we even doubt ourselves, right? When that value is not placed on a profession that you're in or the work that you do every day, you start to devalue your own work. And maybe that's where we see that disconnect in values because we don't see purpose. Yeah. Um, and, and when the recognition isn't there. And that's not to say that that's the right path for us to take mentally, but I think um, it can be disheartening and it can be a challenge sometimes to show up and to live into your your true values when you don't feel seen in that work yeah. every day. What are yours now? You said they're different. And Listen, so we, we took you through I don't know if it. I want to share them all. Um, so I ended up with five. Um, my five were self-awareness, um, generosity, no, gratitude, love, relationships, family. Was that five? Yeah. Yeah, those were my five that I came out with. The three that I had offered at the beginning were accountability, authenticity, and kindness. Mm-hmm. So I had a little bit of a shift in mine. Um, I came out with more than I thought I was going to. And it was interesting to see that change because when I reflected back, it made sense to me. The things that I'm going through personally, this transition that I'm in professionally, there is a lot of change happening. And I do kind of feel like I'm not seeing myself sometimes or I'm getting lost in the work or um, by focusing on others so much that I'm not really prioritizing my own well-being as often as I should be. So it makes sense when I come to reflect on it and spend some time with it. But it was a little uncomfortable yesterday seeing those words come up because I'm like, but I feel good in those things. Yeah, you said they felt comfy. Yeah. Uh, cozy. You said that the values felt cozy. They felt cozy once I like acquainted myself with them. But at first it was kind of jarring because I'm like, oh, like 
I didn't realize that I valued those things. So have I been not putting attention into them like I wanted to? Am I just missing this part of myself? It was a really uncomfortable but welcomed experience and being able to have this time these past two days to sit and really think about it and honor that feeling and that thought that was coming up rather than having to brush it aside and keep on trekking through. Yeah, just to get get done everything that has to get done. Yeah. I, I like the the kite analogy when it comes to change and chaos, and certainly that's been the case the last few years, mm-hmm. is that a kite, when you get it in the sky, if it's a really windy day, will fly all over the place, right? It, like it's utter chaos up there. The tail's flipping around. It's going upside down. and But it's held firm by something on the ground. And I believe that your values are that foundational thing that you lock into so that well you get buffeted by the winds of change buffeted by the winds of change drew buffeted. okay uh, buffeted by the winds of change you've got something to which you are connected so even when everything around you adjusts there are certain parts about your personality that you can stay firm with mm-hmm. and my goal isn't just isn't have people just do it when they need to my goal is to have people do it good leaders live their values whenever they get the chance Great leaders create opportunities to do it. And that's always the day one goal. Mic drop. (laughs) Better not. These things are expensive. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we can't afford to buy a new one. We can't afford to buy a new one. So, (laughs) like, everyone that creaking you hear is me carefully picking the mic up off the floor. (laughs) I mean, I feel like we could honestly talk about this all day. I mean, we've been talking about it all day for a couple of days now, but we're coming up on, on our time here. So I just, before we close up, is there anything else um, that you want to share? You know what? That's always a dangerous question for me because there's like I nine know. things that I still want to share. Uh, I think the last one is this for all of you listening out there. On Thursday evening of every week, one of my core values is self-respect, a commitment to recognizing that when you're empty, you have nothing to give. And the question that drives me is, what have I done today to be good to myself? And that's easy to forget every single day. But I don't want to go through a single work week where I can't say at least one of the five days I answered that question. So on Thursday night, I always ask myself a single question. This week, did I treat myself at the same level of respect I treat my phone? Because you charge your phone constantly, Mm -hmm. you wrap it in a protective case, you put protective glass over it. Because you know you're going to drop it. Mm -hmm. And when you drop it, you pick it up and move on. Because you took steps to be ready for that. And you don't have an existential crisis when the phone hits the ground. But when we hit the ground, we do. For instance, the way I look at it is this. Which do you do more? Do you nap or charge your phone more often? Because your phone is getting a nap all the time to recharge. And we aren't. Every single person listening, you've walked out of your house at less than 10% physically, emotionally, spiritually, and intellectually. But if we leave our house with our phone at less than 10%, we're professionally responsible. Mm-hmm. If we live at, leave at less than 10%, we're dedicated to our job. The last thing I will suggest to all of you today is on Thursday nights, did I treat myself with the same level of respect I treated my phone this week? And if the answer is no, don't panic. You have all day Friday to do something good for yourself. But the first time someone pointed out to me how much better my phone gets treated by me than I get treated by me, it was a bit of a head, like yeah, a bit of a head mess. Yeah, my phone is living the life. Yeah, my fo- the phone, <laughs> your phone is living the life, right? Like you get to go everywhere. And your I'm value. a slave, right? Oh, like, yeah. I am just, yeah, I do everything for you with you. And, and yeah. everything you say I pay attention to, yeah. whether it's good for me or not. 
Uh, like I at times have a dysfunctional relationship with my phone. It <laughs> controls what I say, what I do, like yeah. where I go. Hell, it I tells me where Google to go. A lot. Yeah. I trust Google a lot. I, there's a lot of trust that we put into our technology. So our phone is living the life. Why don't we live it too? Thursday night, folks, just ask yourself that question. And if the answer is no, be honest with yourself and do something the next day. Uh, what I do, honestly, is I, I go through my phone, my photos. I take my favorite ones. I went right back to the beginning, like 10, 20,000 photos. And I just started moving them into a folder called the GOAT folder, the greatest of all time. And on a bad day, uh, I just email one of those photos to someone who's associated with it. They were in it. They were there. And I just say, I wish you were. I wish we were here, man. And I'll tell you, to, if you've ever gotten that random text from a friend just being like, I'm thinking of you or I wish we were hanging out, there's a real power to that. And it also makes you feel something. And so if you have nothing else to do on Friday, take a photo, text it to someone you love and tell them, I love you and I wish that we were together doing this right now. And that's all you need to do to be good to yourself on a Friday before you kick into the weekend. Okay. Um excellent advice heading into the end of the week um thank you so much drew it's honestly just been such a joy having you here these last couple of days and this conversation being able to bring it to our community is i think it's very impactful um thought-provoking ideas that we can really dissect together so thank you so much again for for all you do as well it's my absolute pleasure you have a special place here thanks so much for listening you can connect with us on Instagram at Leading Inspired Learning Pod or on our website at strivewo.ca slash podcast. I would love to have you tell a friend or colleague about this podcast. Thanks again for listening. Please join us next time.